You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for December 5th, 2021, the second Sunday of Advent. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Peter F. Walsh. It's based on Luke, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Good morning again. Let's all take a deep breath here as uh, we begin to dwell upon the Word. No, we we enter into the gospel narrative so that the gospel narrative will enter into ourselves. As you all know, uh, we have recently shifted uh, from hearing the word uh, through the gospel according to Mark, and now we are in the season of the gospel according to Luke. And it is helpful for us to understand, particularly with today's reading, what uh, some foundational theological ideas that Luke is trying to convey to us. And the first of those is that Luke understands salvation history is happening in three different periods, three different eras. And the first of those eras is from creation to John the Baptist. And this is the era, uh, the period of Israel. The second is from John the Baptist through Jesus's ascension. And that is the period of Jesus. And the third is from the ascension right through now, which is the era of the church. As you can hear in that description, John the Baptist is the bridge between two of the eras. He is the culmination of the period of Israel as Luke sees John as the last and greatest of the Hebrew prophets, but also the first and greatest of prophets for the Most High. We hear all of this in the beginning of John, I mean, of Luke's Gospel. The first two chapters are something known as the infancy narratives, and these are chapters that are coming uh, during the Christmas season with the birth of Jesus. But in chapter one, we get the Annunciations. Gabriel shows up and announces to Uh, Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, when Zechariah is in the Holy of the Holies, lighting the incense, and Gabriel appears and says, you're going to have this son. He's then silenced for the nine months of the pregnancy because he doubts, he doubts the angel, he doubts God, and then at the eighth day after after John's birth, that is the time of the circumcision and the naming, Elizabeth says his name is John and they're all they they can't make sense out of this since his father's name is Zechariah and they look to Zechariah and he takes out a tablet and he writes his name is John and then his his mouth is opened and he prophesies which we just said together that was the song of Zechariah in which we heard John saying he will be the prophet of the Most High now We are in the beginnings of chapter 3. No more babies. John is 29 or 30 years old, as is Jesus. And today is Inauguration Day. Today is the beginning of the period of Jesus. And there's a lot happening in the text that Father Justin just read to us. The first is that Luke is anchoring this story in history, in real time with real people. And the dating, according to scholars, might be 28 or 29. The second thing uh, Luke is doing is he's introducing John as all of the Hebrew prophets would be introduced. So we make no mistake that John is a prophet. Uh, Thirdly, those names that we just went through uh, demonstrate the significance 
of this inauguration day. And, and lastly, the passage is meant to be read and to be heard with great solemnity. Just think of the inauguration of the President of the United States with all of the dignitaries lined up behind and the, the solemn swearing in of the President of the United States. Now you get some sense of what's happening in the passage that we just heard. And it begins in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius. Can you, can you hear the elevated language when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee and his brother Philip ruler of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis and Licentius ruler of Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. So this is, this is oof, language. Now, who are all these people? Emperor Tiberius, the most powerful man in the world. And you'll note that this is 30 years later from the Christmas story we're about to hear where it's Augustus Caesar who is the one who sends them on the enrollment. But this is Tiberius. And Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was the, the prefect of the uh, Judea and Samaria, these lands. He was the fifth prefect. He, he ruled this area from 26 to 36. There's a cornerstone with his name chiseled in on it that they have discovered. And he's probably the most infamous man in history. Think about that. Can you think of anybody else who's more infamous than Pontius Pilate? And then there's Herod. This is not Herod the Great, the great uh, uh, builder and restorer of the, of the Temple Mount. This is his son, Herod Antipas. When Herod died, they split the, the, the Herodian territories up amongst his kids. Uh, and Herod, Antipas, is actually uh, replacing his brother, who was so cruel that even the Romans replaced him, which means he must have been unchained in his cruelty. Philip is Herod's brother. Licinius is not related, but he runs a piece of land off near Mount Hermon. And then we move from the political world into the religious world. We get Annas and Caiaphas. There is usually only one high priest. But the Romans rule the day and they deposed and fired Annas, the high priest, and named his, eventually named his son-in-law, Joseph Caiaphas. Now it says the high priest, and just in the United States, as we continue to speak of former presidents with the title president, just as we have President Trump and President Obama, but neither of them are president, we have two high priests. Now Caiaphas, of course, is well known to us. He plays a very significant rule, uh, role in the judgment of Jesus. Jesus spends the last night of his life in his house. Some of you have been there. It is now a church, St. Peter in Galicantu. Galicantu means cocked crow, crowing cock. And it is, of course, Peter's three denials in the cock crowing. When I was a chaplain at the Kent School, we used to teach, I used to teach the gospel according to Luke, and then it showed up in one of uh, these archaeological magazines that I used to read, that they were building an apartment building in Jerusalem and a backhoe clunked into some rock. They, they cleared it apart and they found Caiaphas's casket with all of the hieroglyphics on it, naming him as the high priest. So in antiquity, what the beginning of that, the prologue would be heard with great solemnity. And then the scriptures continue. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So what Luke has laid out for us is chronological time, linear time, right? Chronos. And 
when he says the word of God came, we get vertical time, we get eternal time, time beyond time, intersecting with our time in a kairos moment for the purposes of God. And when it says the word of God came to John, it's to say that John is a prophet. The purpose of a biblical prophet is to speak the word of God. The word of God comes, the word of God is spoken. Sometimes it involves predicting the future, but that is not what prophecy is primarily about. And it says that it came to John in the wilderness. Most often, when we hear about a location in the New Testament, we're hearing not about just a place where something happened, but geography is also theological. And the wilderness isn't just a place where no people live. The wilderness in the Hebrew tradition is the place where God begins acts of restoration for the people of Israel. It never ever starts in Jerusalem. In some sense, nothing ever starts in Jerusalem. It always starts off in the wilderness. And we know from the Annunciation and from the Visitation that John was born for the wilderness. He was born to be an ascetic. Remember, it says that he will not drink. And we hear the description of him eating locusts in wild honey. And the clothing that he is wearing, though it's not described in Luke, is Elijah's prophetic clothing. It all sounds wildly uncomfortable and terribly tasting. Now remember the role of the wilderness. Jesus, when he is baptized by John, he is driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, into the Judean wilderness, where he begins the restoration of humanity, but he begins it in the wilderness. But now John, who begins and lives his life in the wilderness, the word of God actually drives him to the region of the Jordan. So he's actually driven out of the wilderness. And the Jordan River has sacred significance for the Hebrew people. Remember that, uh, that when they moved from their 40 years in the wilderness into the Promised Land, they were up at the top of Mount Nebo. Moses had died, and Joshua led the people down Mount Nebo across the Jordan River and into the Promised Land, into the land of Canaan. And we get to that Joshua and Elisha and Elijah, they all crossed the Jordan on dry ground uh, and in some sense being like new Moses is. Remember how Moses uh, comes through the Red Sea, the 12 tribes of Israel become one group of people, Israel, when they go through the Red Sea. They go through water. Water is a very important mechanism for God to bring about the restoration of God's people. Also in the Jordan, we had a story, a wonderful story about Naaman the Syrian who is suffering from these terrible skin disease and hives and that he is, he is cleansed in the Jordan. So the Jordan River is a liminal space. It, it's a place where you, you leave behind the old and enter the new. You leave behind death and you enter life. It's a place of cleansing and conversion. It is a boundary line where God does incredible things. God does God things. And that is why John goes to the Jordan to baptize in the Jordan and not the Sea of Galilee, not the Dead Sea or the Red Sea. It has to be in the Jordan River. 
And this is a baptism for repentance. Now the word, if you saw the podcast that I do with my my ever so wonderful compatriots, I said I don't like the word repentance, but I love the word metanoia. Metanoia is the Greek word for repentance, and it means change of mind, change of heart, change of soul. It means that kind of change that you experience when you open your heart to the divine and you experience the divine. When we open our hearts and our souls and our minds to the divine and we experience the divine touch, like the top of the Sistine Chapel, when you experience that touch, that all sorts of, all sorts of change takes place. And that is what John is talking about. Now Luke quotes Isaiah 40, just as Mark and Matthew do too. And here he is telling us uh, essentially who John is and what the purpose of John's ministry is. You know, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. Now this prophecy originally came to those who were exiled in Babylon so that they could be released from captivity, the Babylonian captivity. These were the, the, the comforting words. But when Luke hears these words, he knows that story. When he hears these words, he hears, ah, those are the words. John the Baptist is the ultimate fulfillment of that prophecy, and he uses it here. And both Isaiah and Luke say, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Okay, so this is not the voice of one chilling in the wilderness, the voice of one meditating in the wilderness, the voice of one thinking in the wilderness. He is crying out. He, he is talking about the great urgency of what he's trying to get people's attention. This is an urgent and compelling moment. The Messiah is coming and ye all need to be ready or you're going to miss it. That's, that's sort of what is happening here. And we hear those lines that we just love. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth. So in its original context, what that is talking about is again, geography. The Israelites are exiled in Babylon, which is over here. They want to get to Jerusalem, which is over here. And the normal trip would be on the Fertile Crescent. You would come up, up into Turkey, and down through current-day Lebanon and into current-day Israel to get to Jerusalem. Everybody traveled on the Fertile Crescent. Just listen to the word fertile to know why they traveled that way. But what this prophecy is saying is no. There's no time to travel the Fertile Crescent. We're going to go in a straight line right across the Arabian Desert. And nobody but nobody would go in a straight line across the Arabian Desert because it is a brutal desert and it is filled with thisness. The ups and downs uh, of the desert would be utterly beyond exhausting to try to travel. And what the prophecy is trying to convey with the straight line across the desert is the urgency with which God feels to bring people home. It's, it's time to go. And the time to go-ness for the Israelites was to get home, and for John the Baptist, the coming home to God is what, what John is trying to convey. So in the New Testament context, uh, John's straight line is really the highway to holiness, engagement with the divine. 
And next week, when Reverend Elizabeth is preaching, we are going to hear John's teaching. And those teachings are the bulldozer. They are the bulldozer that knocks down the high mountains and raises up the valleys. So, for people who are hearing this word in antiquity, they would have heard, prepare the way with a particular resonance. So remember that Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. The first name for Christianity was the way, and we now speak of the way of love, living as Jesus lived and taught. And of course, these words are absolutely, incredibly alive to us, in great part to the inspired word painting of Handel in his oratorio, Messiah. These are words that we know and love. Now the passage ends with all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is a big deal here. In that word all, something is happening. So all flesh connotes universal salvation for all. This is not just the Hebrew people. This is a Hebrew story that is about to be a story for everybody. Uh, and remembering that today is Inauguration Day for the ministry of Jesus, this is spoken right at the beginning of the inauguration. This all-fleshness is also the mission for the third period, the period of the church that we are living in, which is to say the church, the way, the way, the Jesus way, the way of love is for all humanity. It's not just for a chosen group of people. It is for all. And then as you know, Luke has that two-volume set, the Gospel according to Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. And if you follow the telos of this statement, all flesh shall see the salvation of God, it lands in literally the last sentence of the Acts of the Apostles, which is Paul saying, therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. So what we get is this story is for all of us. This Jesus, this way of love is for all of us. So that's what it means. So what might it mean for us? Because every second Sunday of Advent, we hear the same thing. It's like that skip in the record about back when, remember records? Uh, when it, we always return to this place. So here's what it might mean. In the second year of the presidency of Joseph Biden, when Ned Lamont was governor of Connecticut and Kevin Moynihan was first selectman of New Canaan, Bill de Blasio, mayor of the region of New York, Lynn Vanderslice, first selectwoman of Wilton, during the high priesthood of Michael Curry, presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, and Ian and Laura, bishops of Connecticut, the spiritual movement of God came to you in the wildness of your life, calling you into your inner regions, to the spiritual stream of living water that flows from your heart, 
to be washed in spiritual refreshment so that with a sense of beginning anew, you might experience a conversion, a change of heart and soul as you turn more fully to God. Inspired by what is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah and proclaimed every second Sunday of Advent in your church, the voice of one crying in the wilderness of the Christmas season. Prepare the way of the Lord. Bulldoze out all that stuff that gets in the way and clutters your life so that your flesh can see the reality of God and so that you can live more fully in the divine radiance. You can find more sermons on our website, www.stmarksnewcanon.org.